This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to you. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and today, a special guest in many ways because we had a bit of a rapport and we actually recorded a podcast that is lost to the the ether out there. And now we're going to try and recreate some of the magic that happened on that podcast. We're going to bring it on to this one. Freddie Rivas, a comedian and the host of the Confederacy of Dunks podcast. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, I also, you know, I feel the pain of that lost podcast. Like it was, I, you know, someone's going to listen to it at some point in some weird disconnected audio, you know, universe and, and they'll appreciate it. I had the audio from my end. It might still be in my trash can on my computer. So you can just hear the half that I'm saying. And I could, and they could question. Well, what's I wonder what's said on the other end? Yeah, I mean, I feel like your half alone would probably hold up as a as a good listen in of in and of itself. So. I do. I am kind of tangential. I uh, I answer in the full piece. I rarely give the yeah sure short answer. So maybe maybe you're right there. I actually have an interesting question before we get into basketball. I want to ask you. Sure. If you, what do you think you sound like? If you had to draw a picture of yourself around your voice, what do you think Ooh. that looks like? Hmm. I would say something along the lines of like a, like a, a tumbleweed with a, with a big sombrero hat. A tumbleweed with a big sombrero hat. Yeah. Like, like there's some gruff in there, but I think people can tell. Hey, there's some enthusiasm as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. And an anthropomorphized tumbleweed though. Like you you're kind <laughs> oh, yeah, of like yeah, goofy and Mickey Mouse and those type people. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's a good way to anthropomorphize myself. Perfect. And okay, so let's go. You think of my voice. You're a tumbleweed. What am I then? A cacti? Yeah, yeah, okay. If we're, if we're kind of sticking in that realm, I would say like a slick cacti. Like slick. Maybe maybe there's like shiny teeth and a toothpick. Okay, you know I mean? yeah. Some shades. But like but a, 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 a friendly smile as well, you know? Like, like it's, it's a cool cacti, but also it's not judgmental, you know? Ongoing passers by, they see 
the anthropomorphized cacti and also the tumbleweed and we're cracking jokes that's that's <laughs> what we do to the people the lone yep. travelers who walk by yeah they get a little bit of dose of just uh you know, uh, like uh, some silliness and also, uh, you know, a friendly pat on the back and, you know, carry, carry on your way, you lonely travelers. Perfect. Prickly. A little bit prickly, as, as everyone can be. Thinking of a thorn in my side as the cactus of this podcast, a big thorn <laughs> in my side was the Bucks game because a lot of it was difficult to watch. And I'm wondering you, I'm assuming you've seen most of the Raptors games this year, which yes. loss bothered you more? The Bucks or the Celtics? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. That's pretty easy for me. I'm gonna say Celtics. Um, I, I really, I really try to pride myself on on being a Raptors fan that is passionate, but not one that is quick to blame the referees. Uh, and just just the amount of charge calls and you know. Tice calls and just just big impact plays that seem to be turnovers that were you know I feel like could have went either way. It just that that game just kind of it sat like in a, in a really negative space for me. Where whereas this this Bucks game, as ugly as the first quarter you know blowout was, and 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 even though the game grinded to a halt. In the fourth, uh, in terms of scoring, I still I saw the Raptors fight, and I even saw maybe what you know the Raptors might need to work on and overcome. And in the Celtics game, I just feel like there was no. It's it's not as if the Raptors played a perfect game and and necessarily even deserve that win. But watching the Celtics game, it just kind of felt like it wasn't in the cards, and also there was not much that they could do about it. Yeah, when I think back to that Celtics game and you bring up the refing, the offensive fouls, I specifically remember going in to do the reaction podcast, reviewing it and being like, 11 offensive fouls? That yeah. seems like a lot. I'm sure you watched the rest of the league. You, we were talking about the <laughs> Dallas and Lakers game. Yeah. And before this, have you noticed that there's been a lot of offensive fouls called? Like, I thought it might have just been the Raptors. And 11 is still a lot relative to the league right now. But have you noticed there's more offensive fouls than usual? Yeah, I think it's it's got to be some kind of ref initiative somewhere to, I don't know, maybe give give the defense a little bit of help there because I have been seeing it all over. I think maybe it was, uh, was it Doncic? No. Uh, well, you know, yeah, in that Lakers-Mavs uh, game, there might have been a couple instances. But to me, it just doesn't, it's not really accomplishing what I think the NBA wants. It doesn't seem like it's really helping the defense as much as it's just encouraging teams to shoot more threes. I mean, if the, if the, if driving is going to be even more difficult then I think, you know, teams are, are probably going to launch more threes and I'm not exactly sure that that's what the NBA wants. Yeah. It's, it makes it a little bit disjointed. And when you're saying whether it helps the offense or the defense it's it's interesting to wonder like what that rule is doing or what the quota is whether it's yeah they want to involve steve javi more because he's trapped in a tiny office in new york <laughs> or something and they want more coaches challenges i was gonna say i will say that i noticed for some of the coaches challenges 
they've definitely you, there's more people in the room uh you know in atlanta it seems like it's busier it's it's trending towards like a, like a nasa you know apollo launch and i think you know they, they, there's definitely a pretty the 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 network of of people making decisions there either has grown or they're getting more camera time. Do you think after they when they review a call and they say no the ref got it right as soon as they cut away they're like popping bottles if it is truly like an <laughs> Apollo launch everyone's high fiving like you did it we did it they're everybody's hugging big celebration yeah yeah I I for sure some nerd takes off his glasses um that's that's a hundred percent happening. Yeah, some guy lights a cigar. You can't smoke it. Ah, oh, what the hell? You do what you want. Yeah. Okay. We just we just correctly called a charge block scenario. What? Are, this is bigger than the moon landing. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the Celtics loss. Outside of the offensive fouls, and like you said, the Raptors didn't play a perfect game. Was there anything that troubled you about the way they played, or do you kind of take a step away from that and just say, you know what? Tough loss, one of eighty-two. Let's let's move on. Let's ship out. Let's forget about Boston. Um, yeah, I mean, even you know, I, I, as far as like what bothers me about the loss, I'm kind of bothered by the use of Gasol in general. That's like maybe my biggest nagging. I don't know, just just kind of issue I see with the team. Um, you know, I think when Gasol first came over to the Raptors he he worked really hard to kind of acclimatize himself in a way that wouldn't be you know invasive on the team's success and Kawhi is a guy that just lives in in you know in that two range and obviously Kawhi hits threes but you know the you want Kawhi taking mid-range shots over Gasol any day of the week obviously um and then watching Gasol be featured so much um, for Spain this year, I was kind of reminded that he has a lot of offensive juice, um, but he needs to be run through. And, and I'm not crazy about the way that Nurse is kind of planting him on the three-point line like a Brook Lopez because he's not as willing to fire as Lopez. And, and, and maybe it's a Gasol thing. Maybe Gasol needs to, you know, understand he's 34 years old. And really make that adjustment as like as a as an open shooter, basically. But I just feel like he can't really pump fake and make much happen. And uh, yeah, like that bothered me in the Celtics game. Um, you know, even though he had ten and twelve in the Bucks game, it also bothered me a little bit there. And it, I don't feel like he's bringing out the. I don't feel like Nurse is bringing out the best in Gasol, and I don't feel like Gasol is asserting himself in the way that the team needs. Yeah, that's been something I've written about to start the year is that not only does Gasol sometimes make easy things look hard, maybe because yeah. of his age, his slow foot speed, I'm pretty sure on everybody's mind was that mammoth, like glacial pace with which he tried to get that layup over top of Giannis. He took these two oh my God, yeah. big cumbersome steps and then all of a sudden got blocked and he's like, well, where'd that come from? It's like you're traveling yeah. like 0.2 kilometers an hour towards the rim, my guy. You're going to get <laughs> swatted. Yeah. And, you know, these are big buckets. Or in the Boston game, when he could just take a step in and have a layup, the, other, the two Boston defenders are under the rim. And he, like, somehow creates a mid-range jump shot out of that and clanks it. You're wondering, like, what the hell's going on here? What are you doing? 
And it's like, you understand he's such a cerebral player. You watch Mm. after the first two games, it was pretty clear that his defense had come back. He's been pretty good on defense since. You understand he's reading the game really well on the defensive end. And you wonder, why isn't that happening offensively? And I do think it is, like you pointed out, with Nick Nurse, with Gasol, there's a mix of not putting him in the right positions to succeed and also with Gasol, maybe not asserting himself enough because as we've seen in the playoffs and in the early part of this season, if teams make it a feature of their defense to leave Gasol alone as a five-out center, he's not going to do anything except for shoot like 32% from downtown and clog up the offense up there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's it's a little bit of a shame because, you know, it was uh you know it was, it was that fateful earthquake Los uh Los Angeles or sorry Las Vegas moment. Kawhi decided to leave. By that time, you know, uh, Gasol had already committed to the Raptors. Like the the coaching squad and and Masai and everyone involved has had a very long time to think about this. So I think that's kind of what I find disappointing as well. A guy like Pascal struggling, you know, going head to head with Giannis, um, you know, with with guys like Middleton and, and Lopez and and other quality defenders on the Bucks, you know, all over him expecting it. That doesn't bother me as much as as I don't know. I, I think we're seeing a little bit of, of um, kind of usage issues with Norm as well. Uh, not not to conflate the issue, but it's kind of like they're those two are sticking out to me as guys that are you know they're they're good and and it doesn't seem like they're being used in the best way possible, and I, I find that frustrating. But again, it's it's pretty early days, so uh, and you know we're we're also a team that's kind of working it together, like losing Kawhi and Danny, those are massive pieces. So I think. You know, Pascal's going to find his way. OG's going to find his way, and Fred is going to find his way, and and they're all going to have ups and downs too. Yeah, especially if you're considering the way the Raptors, their roster changed in the off season. A team like let's say Indiana, where they lose Bogdanovich, but they pick up Malcolm Brogdon. Things yeah. like that happen for a lot of teams. The Raptors lost Danny Green and Kawhi, and they're like, okay, we're bringing in Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, Stanley Johnson, <laughs> Matt Thomas. How have those guys figured into the rotation? Not really, if at all. I mean, Matt yeah. Thomas, I like I like the aggression coming off of pin downs. He's putting up jumpers. Rondé mm-hmm. Hollis-Jefferson has been injured early, and Stanley Johnson has been kind of a, a tragedy. Uh, a joker, a taxi driver of a player stuck <laughs> in modern-day Raptors games. It's a, a character study on how a man loses his jump shot and his dribbling skills all in one. And none of those guys have figured into the rotation. And so, like you said, like you brought up, I think it's very apt. The usage problems, the way to divide up the offense between everybody, honestly, because having the success of Siakam early on did massage a lot of those problems. Just having him go out and be like, oh, hey, I guess Pascal Siakam is a 50-40-90 guy now. And he's going to have 29-9 every single game with four assists. And he's going to be one of the best players in the league. And then they play the Bucks, and the Bucks pack the paint. Nurse opts not to have Siakam creating above the break for the first half of the game. So he's trying to post up Giannis with Brook Lopez and help, and the Raptors aren't able to create anything. And you start saying, like, 
oh, outside of, you know, Lowry's brilliance and Siakam's brilliance, there's not a lot going on here if they're not going to game plan properly. Did you find that in the Bucks game? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like you, you nailed it, especially with, with Pascal kind of posting up early on. Um, you know, I think his passing is going to get better. But just at, at this current, you know, point of his career, I like I like to, you know, put Pascal in a position where when he when he gets a pick, he can explode off of it and, and drive to the rim or, you know, get some speed before he makes a decision to, to whip it out to the wing. And when he's posting up against a guy who's bigger and stronger than him, um, and you know Giannis has just ridiculous length, like that's a, that's a hard post up for just about anyone in the NBA. So to choose that as the go to, you know, initiation for your offense, I, I thought was was pretty misguided. Um, and then yeah, then on top of that, I think uh, uh, just just jumping on your point about Pascal. You know, his early explosion, like I was at that Detroit game and it was something else like, you know, it it really seemed like Pascal was was just like, you know, exploding, you know, into like out out of the out of this universe. You know, it was it was incredible Um, and no one could even come close to guarding him. But Milwaukee's a pretty different team than Detroit, and they have a lot of capable and extremely talented defenders. And, and yeah, just uh, just kind of going back to what you were saying about masking uh, masking some of our issues, I feel like Kyle going off is also that a little bit. And, Definitely. And Kyle, it, it's weird because we need Kyle to play well, um, to be a good team, you know, at any given time in, in, in this run. And, and it's always kind of like the Raptors go as Kyle goes, but I find when the Raptors are really nasty, when they're really dangerous, Kyle's kind of acting more like a maestro and he's not doing as much heavy lifting. Like when, when you see a game where Kyle's doing a lot of heavy lifting, he's decided that the guys don't have it tonight and I'm going to go for it. Um, and that works a lot of the time, but again, you know, against a team like Milwaukee, Kyle just, you know, like just going off and, and having an incredible game is still, unfortunately not enough. Like you need a good team plan and you need to, you need to, you know, make guys like Bledsoe or Middleton play bad. Like you, you really have to kind of, uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel like this, this Raptors team does have the talent to compete with Milwaukee, but you know, they only lost Brogdon. So I think they have a lot more continuity than a lot of teams in the NBA. Um, and it seems like a guy like Robin Lopez is just, you know, he's trying to do what his brother does. So I feel like there's, <laughs> there's, there's kind of, they're not doing too much that's new. I agree with that. And I think that's the point to make is that Lowry, his brilliance absolutely masked a lot of what went wrong in the Bucks game because like you're saying, the Raptors' offense and Kyle Lowry's play is at its best generally when he's running the pick and roll a ton and able to create corner three-point looks and rim runs for Ibaka, for Gasol, for Siakam. Those types of things are exactly what the Raptors' offense thrived on sans Kawhi last year on their way to 17-5. and five. It wasn't Lowry going for 36. It wasn't like 20-plus shot attempts for Kyle Lowry. It was 
you know, the maestro of the offense, the pick and roll maestro, the badge from NBA 2K. And it, having Kyle Lowry expend all of his energy on scoring in the first half seems like the antithesis of success for what the Raptors need, where the Raptors early on, it seems like for most point guards and for Kyle Lowry especially, is the job is to really help your teammates along in the first part of the game and then maybe get after it later. And as we saw, Lowry didn't even attempt a free throw. He didn't have a free throw attempt in the fourth quarter after getting there the whole game. And it was, I thought, pretty clear that his motor was running a little bit low because he had spent so much of the game papering over how bad the Raptors had been and dragging them, kicking and screaming back into the game. And I think we agree on this. And to get into something, did you notice that Robin Lopez's hook shot looks like he's throwing a fastball? I, that's not the first thing that came to mind, but it looked very strange. It 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 definitely had one of those NBA 2K glitch looks. He throws it hard, man. Like he really like he gave the Jerry West logo a concussion both times <laughs> he threw. Like he throws it hard, man. Maybe he's just got that like carnival mentality, you know. He's he's trying to take out the, the pyramid of bottles, and he knows he's got to throw it extremely hard if anything's going to happen. Or maybe under the Disney whatever conglomerate that he and his brother support Disney so much, maybe he had the first access to a real symbiote. It's like a venom or carnage type (laughs) of thing, making him far more aggressive. You know, the hair has always been there, but the hook shot used to have a little more feathery touch on it. Now he's just kind of like throwing it at the rim. You know, it's very menacing type of thing. Also, an offensive foul as well. So even though that's par for the course for Robin Lopez. Yeah, so if he if he's like the symbiote brother, is Brooke like the 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 like flubber brother? No, Brooke just because of his brow and I know they look so similar, but Robin Lopez has all the hair to like kind of distract away from it. Yeah. But Brooke Brooke Lopez's brow is very very caveman-esque. So I'm thinking of some other sort of Disney intellectual property, like a John Brown or ten, what is it, 10,000 BC? One of those movies where it's uh, people who used to hunt down animals on their own, take a jab, well, not javelin, a spear, big jaw, big forehead, and uh, <laughs> big, big body, and really capable of, uh, of supplying their own food and their own means of survival. That's what I think of when I see Brooke Lopez. How about you? I mean, that's a pretty good description of Brooke Lopez. Uh, I'll, I'll add to it that I feel like I, I, you know, I know that him and Robin used to write and draw a comic uh, together. Uh, one, one would do the writing and one would do the drawing. And I like to think that Brooke just did it all, but still kind of credited Robin. Um, yeah, I I don't know why that's just a dumb little thought I always see where I'm like, I wonder if he's just being, you know, a really, really nice brother because there, I always had this, I just never fully understood how they were twins and, and Brooke was so much better on offense. Um, you know, cause, cause Robin was better on defense, but, but Brooke was still okay, you know, at times. So he was great last year. Um, yeah. So I always felt like something was up. There, there is something up, always with twins. I don't mean to offend any twins who listen to the podcast. If there is, 
um, feel free to email me at samsonfolk at gmail.com and I will respond accordingly with an apology. But there's something that's always up with twins. I think everybody yeah, this, knows that. This is this is a you know a totally twin friendly rant, but um yeah. but yeah, some <laughs> sums up with the twins in the NBA, you know. I, I I think we got some new ones with the with the bridges, right? Or, or are they just brothers? I think they're twins. I don't think they're I don't think they're related, are they? Oh wait, wait, I might be I might be naming the wrong guys, but I thought there was twins. I thought there was new rookie twins in the NBA. Like the Bridges were from last year. They both played for yeah, it's not um, the Michigan. Bridges is it Michael and what's the other one? Miles, Miles and Michael. I don't think they're related. Who's is there another one this year? Twins. He, I, I thought there was a new one. I just I uh, just Googled NBA twins and and obviously uh Markeef and, and Marcus are getting all the shine. So they they do have a lot of shine. They're they're big time for that. Um well I don't know. But yeah, I think I think I must have just been imagining <laughs> because this because this Google search is leading to to only the Morris brothers. They don't even have the Lopez the Lopai in there, hey? They don't. They don't. And and the Lopez brothers, I feel like, have done a lot more damage uh, on the court. Like they 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 definitely had. Bad, I would say they've had a better twin career than the than the Morris brothers so far. Uh yeah, I'd agree with that. There mostly because of Brooke. Yeah, there wasn't a rumor that the Lopez brothers ever like beat the hell out of a guy, but there was that rumor for the Morris twins that was corroborated by like quite a few people. So yes, yeah, there's a pretty the, ugly scenario. It seemed like, yeah, but nothing happened with that. So here we are. Um, yeah. we are. <laughs> um, let's uh, get into the next phase of this podcast. Well, the second question, not the next phase, but sure. your biggest takeaway of the early season. Now, this can be Raptor centric or league centric, whichever tickles your fancy. Um, I'll I'll go. I'll go Raptors. I'll, st- I'll stick Raptors. Uh, my my biggest takeaway is that I was expecting to see, you know, these types of flashes uh, from OG defensively, you know, a little bit later into the season. Like, you know, I was hoping for that. Uh, and it seems like OG is in the mid. You know, again, it's very, very early days and we'll see how, how well he can maintain it. But he seems like just a, and an elite defender all of a sudden. And, you know, I know he, he's the guy who guarded LeBron in the playoffs in his rookie year. Like he's a talented defender and he would have been drafted higher if he wasn't injured, obviously, but he, he really seems like, like he can be a very serious, meaningful defender. You know, he can, he'll be able to switch to, to quicker guys and, and guard bigger guys and, just you know that that has my 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 brain you know my my brain going forward and thinking we're really in a good situation with OG and Pascal and you know I don't know if if everyone is comfortable including Fred in there we'll see uh, about his development but but I'm 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 happy alone off of OG's play I, I think it's just it's been tremendous honestly um, the four block game I, I know it was against Chicago but. It was that was a the blocks were amazing as well. Like it was really, it was it was really special, and I feel like it's kind of in in a way for me overshadowed 
Siakam's offensive explosion. Because I, I do think there's going to be some regression for Siakam as as the NBA begins to scout him more, whether that's more turnovers or you know some kind of some kind of leveling. But with OG, I'm not sure if there will be a leveling off because I think this is just how good he is on defense. Yeah, well, you're you're preaching to the choir, man. I I am the author of the quote: OG Ananobi is cool. And one of the NBA's best defenders article from, I guess, like five days ago. It came out just before the Pistons game. And it, diving into the film and the statistics was basically like the most fun I've had in so long as far as writing a piece. Because usually when you go into a piece, you're like, I have this idea. I'm going to write yeah. about it. I'm going to make the case for OG Ananobi as one of the NBA's best defenders. And then usually you dive into it and it's not as much there as you thought. And you're like, well put that back on the back burner. But this one, it was everything I ran into, every shred of evidence just affirmed that belief. So I was like, well, I can write this in a jiffy. And so I did. And it's, yeah, like you said, it has been so much fun. Even if Pascal was just where he was at last year, this step for OG would be enough to, I guess, satiate most Raptors fans. Because we want a little progression, of course, from the young guys. And to have this massive jump from Siakam, which probably will have a bit of regression, as you noted, and mm-hmm. but also at the same time, this massive jump from OG, who, even though he's not putting out absurd scoring numbers, has been really, really sharp offensively. I think he's shooting the ball well, attacking the rim well, and his defense, I agree with you, that's been everything. And that's, as I said in the article, you know, one of the, one of the best defenders in the NBA. I, it's been so exciting. Yeah, I... Uh... I'm I'm pretty confident that he's also going to be a Raptor for for a long time. So having Pascal locked up and OG in in a very kind of a, you know cap friendly scenario right now and in a good position for whenever he's wanting or or the team's wanting to talk extension, it's a it's it's a bright future. And uh, I, I spent a lot of the summer hoping I wasn't being too optimistic about this team's future, and that's probably my overwhelming feeling is that I've you know, in the end, it, my my optimism was was fairly grounded, and I think that you know still leaves some space for you know an injury here or an injury there. But I, I think what this team is now, you know, a couple months from now, and and a couple years from now, is looking great, and and that's just a fantastic feeling as a Raptors fan. And maybe uh, to segue, maybe Nick Nurse will be at the helm of that Raptors team, maybe not. But for now, I have a question for you regarding his coach's challenge at 0-5 this season already. Do you care, and if you do, how much about Nick Nurse's challenge record? Okay, my... Okay, short answer, I don't care. Uh, Long answer, I I kind of do care because, (laughs) you know, Nurse... I was a big, big time Casey fan, a big Dwayne Casey fan. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, 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 I kept my mind open with, with nurse and, and, and I really like nurse and, and, and I've, and I've, I've come to just appreciate the differences between him and Casey. And, and obviously he's, he's super successful and he won a championship and, you know, he's our guy, but I think he surprises me a lot and I'm starting to enjoy that. Like, I feel like the more I get to know his like, personality quirks the more i i kind of like him and the coach's challenge 
Now, this might be, you know, in conspiracy theory territory, but I just have this sneaking suspicion. I only really started to feel it in that in that Bucks game. I think that he just uses them as a timeout. Um, and I think he barely cares about whether the call gets overturned. The, you know, the Boston game, I think, was the peak version of him saying, okay, you know, Kemba fell to the floor too easily. That's not a charge. OG barely dipped, dipped his shoulder. I'm going to use my challenge. But I, I, forget, I forget what the Bucks play was. But it, it seemed to be, there's been a couple times where I, I just thought to myself that this was bad use of the coach's challenge because it obviously wasn't going to get overturned. So, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe my tinfoil hat is a bit too tight right now but i kind of feel like he especially the way he used it in that in that bucks game like late in the game it just seemed to serve like a timeout yeah which is interesting right because you lose a timeout if if you get it wrong but he's yeah, just so, kind of flippantly throwing it out there but maybe a review well, think, is longer than a timeout so maybe it's big big nurse brain maybe it's galaxy brain right? maybe it's really smart I think he's like, you say I lose a timeout. I say I don't. Cheers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's gaming the system. There's always that one pioneer who comes into a situation and looks at it differently. And That's maybe right. he's he's the guiding light. I think my I opinion will... not. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I will always remember the Jay Triano moment where there's the inbound play. Yes. And Tyson, you know, <laughs> the, the offensive... Uh, uh, what's it, the, the goaltending yeah. dunk thing and then it's like he had the rule book in hand for when the other coach and the ref were upset he, he just ran at them with no I've been waiting on <laughs> I've been waiting on this for 17 years I've been waiting um, years to bring that it, one out it seemed like that okay sorry I, I feel like I interrupted you oh I was well I was just gonna say it feels like out of sight out of mind for the most part right like he's like uh, well, you know, we don't have to challenge, really. We can just kind of play the game. No basketball games, one-on-one -on -one play. So we'll just take it as it is, right? Because he uses right as, like, a punctuation. He uses that as a, a period at the end of his sentences. That, that but, is a fantastic nurse voice impression, I must say. I'll, I'll have to listen to this back to tell if it is. Just because my voice sounds different when I listen to it than when I okay. listen to it live. Well, it it sounded good coming through my headphones. Perfect. Well, then then I'm quite glad, and I can cut out all this uh, self-doubting and move ahead. Wow, my Nick Nurse. <laughs> so good. Can you believe it? I just had that. What, an Iowan? Is that what, if you're from Iowa, is it your Iowan? Iowan? Iowanian? It's, it's probably Iowan. Iowan. I ran into this earlier in the podcast when I called the Lopez's the low pie. And that only comes from watching the social network and seeing the guy playing. Well, it was Jesse Eisenberg at the time referring to the Winklevosses as the Winklevi. So that was where I'm drawing that from. The Iowan, I have no idea. But this is a, a tangent anyway. And this is not a linguistics podcast with Noam Chomsky. This is <laughs> Samson Folk and Freddie Rivas talking about You're basketball. You're not Noam Chomsky? Oh, no. Where am I? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's quite a turn, man. Noam Chomsky, not particularly known for his impressions, more so uh, 
geopolitical theory and linguistics. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I don't care too much about the challenge record, but it seems like he's not using it properly. But I also have kind of an irreverence for the coach's challenge. I don't think it's important, really, because it's one play over the course of the game. But also, he's definitely using it wrong. So mixed feelings for me. Do you have a way to concisely sum up how you feel? I feel like, yeah, he, it, it, it seems to be that he's not take, taking advantage of it in, in the right way. Um, I, I think, was it, was it Terry Stotts in Portland? Someone made a call um, that... It was that, Stotts, you know, yeah. It was Stotts, yeah, that, it, that was super impactful. And I think that, that to me seems like the benchmark for the coach's challenge so far. Well, I think so too, because at the end of the games, so much garbage starts happening in the game and they swallow the whistle. And I think that would be the way to use it. You know what I mean is you keep it for if you're Dallas and you're Rick Carlisle, you say, well, hey, can I just like review this play? Maybe you guys notice that like... Dwight Howard horse collared Steph or uh, Seth Curry. I know that's not the way the rule works, but following that logic, that would be the way to do it. Or anything adjacent to that. That seems like the move. What do you think? No, I think I think that's a really strong time to make a play like that because you know if it's anything like the NFL um, or or the MLB challenges, like they have people watching those. Um, and the coach kind of gets the tap and, it, and, you know, they're told, Hey, this is the incorrect call. If you want to use your challenge, use it now. Um, and that would be a perfect opportunity. There's so many replays, um, and there's so much pushing and shoving that is just kind of like naturally part of those late game moments that I feel like if you were, you know, using that as an opportunity to, to kind of like, I don't know, mess with the team's rhythm or, or kind of claw your way back into the game. That seems like you, you, you know, you'd have your pick of the litter uh, in the late game situations. How? What would your salary have to be to join the Raptors as a tap guy? You watch the game, you run up to Nurse, you give him the tap, tell him when you think he should be calling the challenge. How much would you have to be paid? Uh, that's a good question because I feel like it would be a very weird dream come true. Um, so, uh, you know, my instinct wants to say, Hey, I do it for free. I just want to be on the Raptors bench. Um, but then when you think about it being a job and being a part of your life and you needing to take that very seriously, um, you know, a, a pretty decent salary. I, I don't want to be greedy here, but, uh, you know, put, put me down for a hundo thou. hundred thousand, six figures. Yeah. That's, that's pretty safe. I like that smart man securing the bag. That's right. You know, I don't want to be greedy, um, even though that's a lot of money. But uh, yeah, I, hey, I, I would take my job seriously. I would take my job very seriously. I'd be, I'd be watching whatever like kind of like, you know, petite iPad thing that that needed to be <laughs> hidden from the from the from the stadium cameras. And, uh, you know, maybe it's like in a coffee cup or something. It would be very I'm, I'm sure all, there's a bunch of different teams kind of working on. Tony Stark uh, you know, glasses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to Tony Stark glasses. Like, if if you see, you know, if you see Alex McKechnie in, you know, suspicious shades, he might be up to something. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. And one last question regarding this: If you did have that job retroactively at the start of this year, what would Nurse's record be out of five? Ooh, that's a good one. Um. You know, 
let me say four out of five because if I'm watching it and I'm, you know, picking moments that are obviously a foul, uh, I think I would mostly get it right, but there's probably probably at least one instance where, you know, uh, it, maybe it's a time sensitive thing or or the ref doesn't doesn't want to overturn it or you know, uh, I'll leave some room for error in judgment. I, I still think that's a confident answer and one that I like eighty percent. That's you'd be shooting really high percentage from the field, and to oh, transition yeah. into the next thing, um. And everybody who's listening, I know you really like hearing us talk about the rules of the NBA. The minutia and the jargon is is very engaging for you. So why not more of it? Freddie, I have a question for you. What is your favorite rule change of the past 20 years in the NBA? Okay, so this is a, this is a really good one because, you know, I thought about it a lot and I tried to think about what... Um, what could be used, um, you know, in, in a way that, that would change the game uh, or sorry, that did change the game, uh, in, you know, from, from a strategic standpoint. And the, the one I was going to jump towards like a, you know, maybe kind of zone defense type of answer. Um, I also found a kind of a funny answer. I think it's a uh, 1959. So it doesn't fit in the time frame, but in 1959, they widened the lane from six feet to 12 feet. So, uh, yeah, the thinking about the NBA with a, with a six foot lane is kind of funny, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that, that doesn't really fit the, the question criteria. Um, the one that I, that, that I kind of, you know, zeroed in on is in, in, in 2010, 2011, they added different circumstances where, where, um, where the video replay, the instant replay could, could further be used. And, uh, it's like, it's, it's, there's a ABCDE. So there's, you know, it's kind of one of those rules that really had a lot of implications. And I, and as much as people, you know, may dislike the, the pace uh, of the video replay, I, I do think that just for transparency, transparency sake and, um, and, and, you know, just for kind of making the correct decision more often than not. That's been probably my favorite. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, instant replay may now be used. I think that's uh, a good answer. And but also to draw attention to the rule you brought up about in the 50s and a six foot wide lane. I would like to see. And considering if it was in the 50s, there probably wasn't a three second violation for defense. That yeah. means if Ersan Ilyasova, Kyle Lowry. Guys like that traveled back to that time. The amount of time they would just stand in this skinny little lane taking charges would be <laughs> <Yeah>. incredible. <laughs> they wouldn't move from it. They'd be like, nope, this is this is where I have to be. This is where the money's made. It's it's hard for me to even imagine a basketball with a with a, with a skinny lane like that. And you know, obviously it's it's kind of fun. If you if you're if you ever are uh, chatting with Samson and he asks you to uh, to pick a rule and you go down the same path that I did and you, you find NBA rules history, it's pretty funny off the top because the game started very simplistically and and it's just kind of funny thinking about teams, you know, just pushing, um, you know, just, just kind of pushing the NBA 
in one direction or the other and, and, and coaches kind of everyone, you know, just pushes the envelope. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm a big James Harden fan and I could never be a, a guy who is frustrated at a player who's kind of pushing the rules. Cause I, I kind of think that that's their job and it's, it's, it's player's job and it's a coach's job and, um, you know, it's a GM's job to kind of, you know, for the sake of competition, win at all costs. And if that's bending the rules a little bit, then bend those rules. Uh, you know, it's the NBA's job to kind of, to stay on top of you and, and make sure you, you know, you don't bend the rules. Yeah. I, well, I like that you brought that up and James Harden, because it is the player's job to, to push things forward just as, and you know, I'm surprised the league isn't more careful with the way they draw up the rules because of course it's open to interpretation and James mm-hmm. Harden has taken that to the nth degree. And yes. it's no wonder that lawyers, judges, people who practice law, when they're looking at how they're going to try something and they look at precedent and they say, wow, how did we let that happen? Because once it set a legal precedent of how this is to be interpreted, this made it like impossible for people to be called on it going forward. James Harden right now is basically wreaking havoc on the NBA with the precedent he's set. And the the NBA and a lot of defenders have no recourse to deal with it. And that's just, you know, good lawyering on James Harden's part. It is. Like, I imagine him sitting in a room poring over the rule book. Like, what can I do to enhance my game? Maybe with his own Tony Stark glasses on as well. (laughs) it's, It's cool to see that the game is interpreted that way because on the one hand, you think... Look where it comes from. Peach baskets, lanes that are as skinny as Zion Williamson. And even past that, you know, it's just a bunch of white guys in the gym kind of tapping a ball, never getting any rhythm to the dribble, just kind of hitting it up and down. It's It looks weird. It's awkward. And now to where the game is, at the very least, guys are have it like the worst vertical in the league for a wing player is like 36 inches on a running vertical and all these guys can stroke it. The handle is insane. Like if you show Kyrie Irving, the basketball player to Bob Cousy or something like that, like do they come from the same universe? What does the guy, what sport does Bob Cousy think that Kyrie Irving is playing? And that I think rules really make that apparent. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. And, and you know, you can see the evolution in the players and you can see the evolution in the teams and, you know, and I think it's kind of fun to watch the ebb and flow. Like it, it almost seems like pace wise, we're we're entering, you know, that that like, you know that eighties kind of like ABA. Uh, it's almost like the ABA with threes uh, now. It's, it's it's the current NBA, but that's obviously going to change because defenders are going to get longer. Um, you know, defensive formations are going to change. At some point, someone's going to be able to bother the step back three. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I always feel like when you make a rule change, uh, you know, it, it is important to kind of see how it takes shape over the course of a few years. And then, you know, I, that's even true for larger MB ideas like the, you know, the, the bargaining agreement. Um, uh, I, I, this is a little bit of a, of a kind of a side point here, but if you think about the, the luxury tax and, and the way that the NBA salaries work, it, it kind of helped to ensure that it, having a dynasty and a super team is extremely difficult. Um, and, you know, with the with what's happening with Golden State right now, I think it's it's a little bit evident 
that uh, that just how much it took out of that franchise to compete at that level for as long as they did, um, and and how you know weak they look now. That anytime I see that, it just makes me think like what a freak Michael Jordan was. I don't know how he did that six in a row for him. That's and yeah, yeah, he's just superhuman in that way, and also horrible in others. But that's. I'm sure the people of the podcast don't want to listen to me gripe about his his tip <laughs> his tipping or the way he treats people because I yeah, don't even no, know I, the guy. Everyone's heard, you know, I think heroic and and less than heroic uh, Michael Jordan stories for sure. But he yeah, I mean, he he'll always be, you know, just such an insanely interesting uh, you know, character study as far as how dominant he was and I, well, what is it? He only played 13 years in the NBA or something like yeah, that. 13. Um, so that's even strange now to think about only playing 13 years, um, you know, and six finals, six finals MVPs. But that means, you know, he was in the NBA for seven years where he didn't make the finals. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to think about how dominant um, a, a, a guy like Michael Jordan was and, and how he seemed just absolutely unstoppable in in every way, including health. I think at some point there should be a book written about him that has very, very intimate details of his life, but also written about him as if he were a villain, but like an anti-hero type villain. You know what I mean? Where you're kind of oh, rooting like for that. him, and you're like, well, you know, I want him to win the chip. He's obviously great at what he does. But then by the end of the, it's like Breaking Bad where you're cheering for Walt, you're like, oh, you know, Walt, he's just this kind of yeah, normal yeah. normal teacher. And then by the end of it, you're like, this power-hungry son of a is just after, like, he's doing his own thing. He never cared about anything. And then oh, I know that's, you could have a picture of Michael Jordan, like, laying on the floor, touching the NBA trophy the same way Walt died, you know, to the rhythm and blues song of baby blue and <laughs> the the panning camera to the to the flashing <laughs> flashing lights um this is good this is a good vivid picture and i mean to me you're not even really a hardcore nba fan if you're not aware that that guys like you know kobe and and, and michael jordan were, were very maniacal you know the fellow players would say that about them it's not it's not a secret that these that 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 these players who are hyper successful, um, you know, also have these personality traits that are pretty intense. It's what makes LeBron's Taco Tuesday like Disney Channel side of himself so confusing. I think because like if you ever caught Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant like rolling their tongue on a Taco Tuesday type thing, I the world would shatter. I think I don't know if we'd be able to take it. Yeah, I mean. LeBron will always be, you know, he'll have his own place in in history as you know the like the the kind of like the Twitter champion, the the first like major kind of like you know he started his career as a brand, uh, and you know really brought that kind of like personal business, uh, tight like you know personal business and also you know excellent player, um, to just an absolutely new level to the point where. A guy like Norm has his own brand. You know, Fred Van Vliet has his own brand. I'm sure the majority of the Bucks have their own brands. Uh, you know, he'll he'll be he'll be the he'll be remembered for his greatness, but also his business savvy. I think. Yeah, 
Well, I think Michael Jordan grew up playing Mousetrap, and LeBron grew up playing Roller Coaster Tycoon. You know, it's that that corporation like that. type of view. Yeah. <laughs> Roller Coaster ready? Tycoon. Yeah. That's a, you, that's. A, I mean, if 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 you don't understand that reference, that's on you, and you need to do the research, listener. Tough luck, listener, if you don't understand the deep cuts from Roller Coaster Tycoon. <laughs> Are you ready for the uh, the Twitter question, sir? Yeah, let's do it. All right, listener, we're, uh, we're going to get into those. But first, a small break, an ad break for you. Um, still listen, because that's very polite. Get today. Here's the scenario. You're injured in a collision, and your insurance company is denying your claim. It happens far too often. If it happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. My team and I work for people just like you. We don't accept cases on behalf of insurance companies, so you and your family can make sure that you're in good hands. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Welcome back from your ad break. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you skipped it, just more continuation of myself, Samson Folk, and Freddie Revis talking about basketball and whatever tangential things enter our mind for which you are going to listen to the whims and uh, motivations of us on what we'd like to talk about. But now that's over. And for now, we're, we're answering questions from you guys. The Twitter questions. There were six posed to us, two of them regarding Marc Gasol's sobriety. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to dive into those. How about you? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. The first one from Aaron Sirota at Sidro Master. Sidro spelt like hydro, but with an S. Hey, guys. What do you think the best slash worst case scenario is for the Raps this season? Would you classify our team as high ceiling, low floor, or low ceiling, high floor for the playoffs this year? Deep run in playoffs or disappointment? I'll swing this one to you first, man. Um, I would say we are high ceiling, low floor. I think the you know the best case scenario um, for us looks like you know, the continued emergence of our young guys and our vets can hold on. Maybe we add a, a piece that doesn't mess with our long-term future. And maybe, just maybe, I realize this is uh, maybe a bit too optimistic, but maybe we can contend. Uh, there's not a lot of teams in the NBA that are, uh, are looking like they would absolutely decimate the Raptors in a series, at least not yet, in my opinion. Uh, worst case scenario... I think is uh, is is probably an injury to one of our key young guys, and uh, and maybe maybe a little bit of panic on Masai's part, um, which I, you know it's it's hard to imagine. That's what that's why I say low floor, uh, and you know I, I can't imagine this team worst case scenario missing the playoffs, but I think for us the worst case scenario is is a lower seed and, and an embarrassing first round exit. What what do you consider high ceiling? For this team, I think uh, I think you know I, I I almost hesitate a little bit because it sounds it sounds silly, but I think they could win a championship this year. Um, you know, when when I look at the teams that are slotted as as much better than the Raptors or contenders, like the the Clippers and the Lakers and the Rockets and the Jazz and the Nuggets and you know the the Bucks and the, and the Sixers. I don't look at any of those teams as absolutely unbeatable. 
uh, favorites over the Raptors? You know, definitely. Um, not not all of them, but I think uh, I think you know I I would favor those teams over the Raptors for sure. But uh, yeah, I don't see I don't see the Raptors having no. There's just no team that 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 it represents a Golden State type of chasm in the NBA right now. Yeah, for me, and I I think that the the high ceiling for most teams, if they're going to be considered high ceiling, the ceiling should be considered the championship. Like a high ceiling for the Kings this year, they'd obviously be punching way above their weight if they kind of break off a huge run and end up in like the third or fourth seed. Like the Denver Nuggets of last year, like punching way above their weight, getting into the first seed. Like something like that is obviously, that is a high ceiling for a young team Mm -hmm. that's breaking through. The Raptors coming off of a championship, the high ceiling for that team, even Sands, Kawhi Leonard, and Danny Green, I think still has to be considered a championship. And definitely your point about the Raptors... That were the other teams in the league not being able to just have this huge chasm between themselves and the rest of the field as Golden State did for so long. I think there's a ton of parity. And within parity, you know, a lot more teams kind of envision themselves as high ceiling because it seems more, well, it seems more, I guess, possible to, to reach that ceiling. But with all that being said, I consider the Raptors as high floor and low ceiling and I'll explain my rationale is that I think like you said Siakam will have a tiny bit of regression and I don't think Siakam like his stats right now he's basically like a top six player in the league which yeah he looks pretty unreal yeah yeah he's fantastic but I don't think he's top six yet and if I am labeled a Siakam hater for this then it's a sad day but you know I'll, I'll take the I'll <laughs> take it on the chin and for the Raptors, I think low ceiling is like second round, just based on how good this team is. The the veterans that are on this team, the emerging young star that is Siakam, and maybe in tow another emerging young star in OG Ananobi. Tons of guys on the team who have won the chip, who have playoff experience. Norm, like we talked about earlier on the podcast, maybe not being used correctly now, but always factors into playoff series. Well, most of the time factors into playoff series. Things like that. So the Raptors, I think, high floor in that. If the team stays together, I basically don't see anything lower than a four seed. It's just really hard to envision this Raptors team losing a bunch this year, like less than Indiana, less than teams like Miami, Boston. Like I just, I think that they're on par at their floor because they have so many capable veterans to guide them through this year and young guys to lean on as well. And the ceiling, I think, I don't see them beating. I think the 76ers are a hell of a team, man. I think the 76ers, especially in playoff time, are going to be really, really good. Their defense, I think, will be the best we've seen in years. And if the Raptors run into them, whether it be in the second round or the Eastern Conference Finals, I think that they would lose to the Sixers. And again, if I'm a Raptors hater for this, sorry, guys, don't mean to be a downer, but that's how I feel. So I think... The Eastern Conference Finals, coming off of you know being a championship-winning team, that doesn't represent high ceiling to me. That's low ceiling. And I don't think the Raptors are going to win it this year, so I can't say high ceiling because the ceiling, obviously, for the defending champs is you know the, ch- the chip. So that's, that's my rationale. How do you feel about that? 
No, I, th- I think that's pretty fair. And I think um, the Sixers are definitely a team that um, I, you know, I thought was going to be absolutely just just smothering. And, uh, it, you know, everything so far is uh, is checking out. Um, we'll see how they develop uh, throughout the season in terms of, uh, you know, whether anyone gets load managed or, you know, if uh, – if Ben Simmons starts shooting threes or whatever, but I, I think that they could win a championship without Ben Simmons even attempting a three. Uh, I, I think the Sixers are, I think the Sixers and the Bucks, um, if, if I was the person who did the Vegas odds, they would be my Vegas odds championship or champions because I think their path to the, to, you know, to the finals is, is easier than anyone in the West. And the, yeah, the Sixers, I, I'm just also a huge, huge Horford fan. Uh, and I think he's the type of player who who makes you better in in ways that like you know w- with us in Gasol you can see when when a guy does a lot that doesn't show up on the stat sheet uh, that really contributes to winning um, and Horford is one of those guys I, I I never even for a second thought that um, they were worse when they lost Butler uh, and got Richardson and Horford uh, and, sorry and and they lost Butler and Redick. Um, but I thought they were, I thought right away getting Horford and, and Richardson was meaningfully better than Butler and Redick. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Horford is like a panache in a lot of ways. He just fixes everything. He massages out a lot of the wrinkles in how yeah. they want to operate on offense. And defensively, he's kind of a savant as well. He's, he's just a he, fantastic player. He's a winner. He's like such he's, – he's one of those guys that no one talks about, but you can go back to him and Noah in college – and you know his Corey Atlanta, Brewer as well. Corey Brewer, oh yeah, Corey Brewer. Oh, yeah, I forgot about, I forgot he was a part of that. But yeah, even his Atlanta days, which are always you know, Atlanta is always maligned for 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 being you know pretty good for a long time. But when you have a guy like Horford, you can't be bad. Um, and yeah, yeah, he's joining a team that was already very good. So, well, I thought the funniest thing about those Atlanta teams was that it was obviously. Horford and Millsap driving that team. But everyone was like, well, how did Jeff Teague get so good? Well, Damari Carroll, he's one of the best in wing players in the league now. And it was like the obvious answer was smacking everybody in the face. And then Millsap goes on to be very good with Denver. He's obviously a bit older now. And Horford, the better of the two, has been fantastic in Boston and will once again be fantastic in Philadelphia. It's just they've been so underrated. For so long, those two, and especially Horford. So I agree with you on yeah, that. I, I, yeah, I could, I couldn't agree more. So especially with with the with the Millsap throw in there, he's fantastic. Yeah. The next Twitter question from Sean Conrad at No Scones. Um, we will bow to it. We will answer the Gasol sobriety questions. How long will Marcus Gasol's summer hangover last? My prediction is that it's already over. Honestly, because he's still sharp on defense and he was prone to have these long drought like instances on offense last year. And I remember being specifically myself, of course, but I remember the fan base being quite frustrated with Gasol many times during last year's postseason offensively. And especially when we were down two nothing to the Bucks, because the Bucks played the exact same type of defense that they played against the Raptors just now, as they did in the playoffs, and watching Marc Gasol kind of ho-hum above the three-point line and create nothing was like everyone was wanting to pull their hair out. So I I think 
that he is, uh, he's no longer beer poppy. He's just a, a champion now, but with, with holes in his game and his decision-making a little bit. What do you think? Uh, I, yeah, I agree with everything you said. I feel like his, his hangovers, you know, more or less over and, and the struggles, you know, going back to what I, I said earlier in the pod, I feel like the, the struggles are, you know, I, I don't want to blame nurse a hundred percent, but I feel like, you know, nurse and, and Gasol and the assistant coaches and Kyle and Pascal, they need to have a sit down and figure out, you know, in a very cerebral way and how Mark can be a better part of that. Um, and also just because I feel like it's the, it's the appropriate, uh, it's the appropriate time to, to drop this, but I make hot sauce and the name of that hot sauce this year is called Mark's Rosé and it's, uh, it's modeled after Marcus Gasol, uh, and uh, I don't sell the hot sauce. I just do it for fun. But I, I feel like if there was ever a place to brag about it, it was right here and right now talking about Marcus Uh and him having a, well, not a drinking issue because I think he was celebrating, right? Yeah. I have a, I have a quick question. Is sure. your hot sauce low floor, high ceiling or high floor, low ceiling? Are you playing it <laughs> safe or are you really <laughs> out there with your hot sauce? Uh, okay, I would say high floor, high ceiling. We Whoa. went. For- <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh, it's like mostly kind of habaneros, uh, secret ingredients like dates, and we got some radishes in there. But the full name of the hot sauce uh, is actually called Mark's Rosé and Basketball Bones because uh, we 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 put a little LCBO style bottle around the neck of the of the main hot sauce bottle. And that's just filled with ghost pepper. Uh, it's like dehydrated ghost pepper. So, and, and that's the, the part of the, of the hot sauce that says basketball bones. So we really went for it on the, on the hot sauce this year. So if our habanero hot sauce is not hot enough for you, there's a little dehydrated ghost pepper that you can uh, shake in your, uh, in your bottle if you like. Very creative. I like the engineering. I'm a big fan. And uh, I'm I'm happy to move on to the next uh, question, but I'm glad your hot sauce got a shout out on the podcast. If you if you Thank ever you. start selling it, you can pencil me in as a customer. Okay. Well, you know what? Uh, I feel like uh, I feel like maybe I'll send you some because uh, you know we only make a certain amount of bottles and and we give them away for free. So this it seems like the right exchange. It sounds pretty dangerous. Are you sure it's going to make it across the border? <laughs> Actually, that is a very good point. Next time you come to Toronto, let me know. I'll be in Toronto this year. We'll uh, we'll link up and we'll put some of your hot sauce on some wings, I think, and we'll we'll see how that. Maybe we'll have a podcast at that point in time as well. I think that's a pretty good plan. All right, the next question from Jeff Berg, who is always um, asking questions, which is fantastic. Jeff, thank you for asking another question. He says, "Which team is better? Last year's Raptors." Or the Clippers as they are now. I'm going to cut you off. I'm not letting you answer this. Because the Raptors were a much ah. better team yes. than these Clippers. If Kawhi would have stayed this year. And I know we're talking about last year's Raptors. But if Kawhi would have stayed this year. He would have won another championship. So easy. What are you doing man? You big old goofy goof. You crazy <laughs> guy. Kawhi why did you leave? You silly guy. But with that being said, uh, all the blessings to him. Hope he enjoys L.A. But yes. the, the Raptors last year are much better than the Clippers they are now. What do you think? Uh, I love Kawhi. Uh, I love Danny. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I hope for them to be, you know, successful in their new situations. 
they brought us a championship, but uh, yeah, I, absolutely not. Uh, I, I would say that the Clippers, they look a bit better than I thought they would be. Um, you know, I don't want to kind of come across as a, as a Clippers hater or anything like that. Um, not, not that I, you know, want to come across as a Clippers lover, but I think their role players, um, were, were highly overvalued last year. And, and I thought that, uh, Gallo and Tobias Harris were, were a meaningful part of that regular, uh, season. And for, and for Gallo, the, uh, uh, he wasn't traded. So he, you know, he was a part of the playoffs as well. And, and I thought they give the, they gave Golden State, you know, kind of a shot in the arm before Golden State woke up um, and and kind of moved past them. But, uh, you know, Montrez is, or Montrez, he's, he's fantastic. But, you know, Zubac and, uh, and uh, Mo Harkless and, 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 and Beverly and, and Lou Will, um, I, I, I don't know. I'm not super sold on it. Uh, I, th- I think we'll see, we'll have to see when Paul George comes back. But the Raptors team last year, it's it's going to go down as a very 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 good team that kind of got overshadowed um, by the by Golden State the era you know the Golden State era kind of coming to an end. But I, I think that the Raptors team last year, uh, you know, should have been given more. Uh, in retrospect, I think will be appreciated more uh, as as a, a really you know a special championship team. I think so, so too. Yeah, the Raptors for sure. Once the uh, once Kyle Lowry gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, and people start looking back like, oh, Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard, oh, and Marcus Gasol as well, oh, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, yeah. oh, bet on yourself, Fred Van Vliet. All these characters that we now know and love. I mean, my kid, he's got all the posters downstairs. Like, that's not realistic, but let's pretend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's got the oh, only because of the posters. Yeah, everything else is realistic. But no one, no one has posters anymore. But yes, but all those players will be legends. I think. Yeah, I think so too. And not maybe not Fred Van Vliet outside of Toronto, but Siakam, Lowry, Gasol. Ibaka and Kawhi all will have very they all have huge international presence and the more the game grows international I think the more they'll be looked on favorably and with the advanced stats turn I think that favors Lowry as well and yeah I think this Raptors team the one that won was so special and we're seeing now definitively probably close the door shut on the Golden State Warriors and in retrospect I think that'll look massive for this team, and uh, yeah, Kawhi, yeah, you done goofed, but that's fine. We we still love you, and uh, yeah. One more question, sure. well, actually, actually two more. I know you know Barry and Nick. Well, Nick at the very least, Nick Reynoldson. Oh, I know, and, uh, I know Barry and Nick. Well, there you go. Um, we have a question from Shadman at Spicy Playoff P. When are Barry and Nick making a comeback? Uh, do you, have you talked to them about that recently? Do you know when they're going to be recording their next podcast? I don't know when they're going to be recording their net, next podcast, but as far as a comeback, those two have never left. Um, just, just a quick little, quick little positive story about Barry. So Barry, uh, uh, Barry was at just for laughs, uh, in Montreal this year. I was at just for laughs in Montreal this year. I was playing in the, uh, and this celebrity or like, you know, the kind of like the comedy, 
with some celebrities uh, basketball game. And there was Team Canada against Team World. And it really should have been, you know, still Team USA against Team Team World, but it was in Montreal. And I actually tore my LCL. Uh, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life to be at a comedy festival and tear a part of my knee uh, in a charity basketball game. But but Barry had my back. He, uh, you know, he drove me around uh, in Montreal and kind of helped me out and 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 got me to. Uh, you know, got me to my, uh, my, my tech run for my show. So, so Barry is a, he's a real one. He's an awesome dude. Uh, Nick's Nick's the best too. So and Nick, Nick and ball, by the way. I, I can't remember, but I remember watching one of Nick's sets and he had such a fantastic joke and it was at his own expense, of course, but it was something about how he looks and it was I can't remember what it was, but it was a really great joke. Nick's, um, Nick's a killer. If you're if you're listening to this, Nick Reynoldson is a very, very funny dude. If you live in Toronto, go see him live for sure. Yeah, he's definitely funny. What what was your what were you doing at Just for Laughs, like specifically? Uh so I was actually doing my uh my kind of uh concept show that I run with my brother Miguel. Uh it's called Rap Battles. Uh it's it's kind of like a character comedy show um with it where we get original characters to rap battle each other like uh you know some of my favorite ones have been um like ponytail versus uh uh man bun or soups for sandwiches uh we're actually turning 10 years old um (laughs) it's hilarious because we've mostly existed live but we predate epic rap battles we predate most of what's out there right now to be honest um but uh but yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of like a fun, silly. You know, it's there is some rapping, but it's mostly jokes and it's mostly characters. And we're big wrestling fans, so there's a lot of kind of pageantry and and showmanship in the show. I see. That's something I've been interested in for a long time. Is wrestling? I was not one of the kids that watched wrestling grow up. However, comma, I see. People that I respect a lot, very smart people, very fun people, enjoying wrestling immensely as adults. And I think I've missed out on a part of culture that I might have really enjoyed. But now I feel that it's too late. <laughs> well, I feel like your your instinct is 100% right. And not in that it's too late, but in that getting into it now, you know, it might feel a bit odd, like, uh, like just an example. Like I, I never watched the Goonies growing up, and and all these people I know, you know, they they love the movie. And they're like, oh, the Goonies, it's such a good movie. And I, I watched it as an adult, and I was like, this is one of the most terrible things I've ever seen. Um, and and I didn't enjoy it at all. And I feel like that nostalgia wasn't there to help me along. And wrestling's a little bit like that. I mean, you, I think I feel like you could enjoy wrestling if you, you know, if you came at it from like a anthropological, like I want to find out what is going on in this universe, you know, you, you'd be interested and, and kind of the performance and the clowning and the, you know, bravado and the, all, all that's super fascinating when it comes to wrestling. But most of us who like wrestling when we were young, I don't know if that's why I think it was kind of just the outrageousness and the, you know, casual violence probably. Well, I thought it was like the absurdity of the plot 
and the acting. I remember watching it with my friends when I was like 15. It was when a well, actually, no, sorry, I wasn't at 15. I was 17, and we were at we were in a hotel room. We were all at a tryout um, for the University of Alberta, the Golden Bears. I think that's what they're called. How serendipitous, <laughs> considering. Wait, are they actually well, called the Golden Bears as well? No. I, I can't remember. The University <laughs> of Alberta in Edmonton. What are they? I think they're the Golden Bears. I, anyway, just to, to the listener, we were talking about Jack Nicholas being the Golden Bear um, before the podcast. But we we're trying out um, for that team, that well, that CIS team, and we we're at tryouts. And when we were staying in the hotel room, we were watching wrestling. And I had maybe never had a better time watching a program than that. Because just the outrageousness of it, the absurdity, but also the high-flying antics, it, I was just like, yeah. wow. And they were explaining it to me as it went along, and it was funnier that way and more entertaining that way. And I was like, if only yes. someone would hold my hand through this and and teach me how to love wrestling, I, I think it could really be something in my life. But the, yeah, that's, the that's Royal, how I view it. The Royal Rumble is a good entry point. If you oh, watch I the see. Royal Rumble... I feel like you would be entertained, like, without a doubt. I feel like Blake, um, my guy, Blake Murphy, I feel like he's been waiting on pins and needles for me to ask him for his wrestler's manifesto, which I'm not sure he has, but I'm also kind of certain he does have. And uh, maybe I'll learn. And when, when I come to Toronto, we'll watch some wrestling together, all of us. And uh, <laughs> you guys can walk me through it. <laughs> I think that's uh that's the last oh sorry one more question from Rania El Halali yeah Rania El Halali says thoughts on the amount of turnovers we're averaging a game and Siakam's foul trouble um turnovers I'm not too too worried about I feel like that will kind of clean itself up uh, generally th- these Raptors squads have been pretty low turnover teams um, maybe. With Siakam running more plays, that's kind of a, like an identity change, but that's something not something I'm too concerned with. His fouls, on the other hand, you know, I was joking to to uh, my friend the other day that they're kind of you know I feel like they're treating Pascal like uh, you know like like year three Amir Johnson with his fouls a little bit, but I also feel like he's he's a bit. He's a bit aggressive on defense, which works when you're not the primary or one of the primary ball handlers. But, you know, add that to uh, having such a high usage load and 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 guys waiting for you, uh, you know, as you're driving in, like waiting to take those charges. Um, and I think I'm, I'm a bit more worried about that because I'm curious how he's going to stay aggressive and adjust. Um while keeping his fouls down. Yeah, I think that's the the whole thing is how it changes fundamentally how he plays. And like you said, it's different when you're role player defender off the bench and you're just this wily defender who's going to get into guys. But if you're going to be playing 38 minutes a game and putting up 26 points a game and the team has transitioned to lean on you heavily on both sides of the floor, how do you produce that impact without fouling something you know there was that wherever LeBron went however long without fouling while also being a defensive player of the year candidate that everyone marveled at and for the right reason it's tough to play Mm -hmm. good defense without 
fouling. And Siakam, while his defense this year has definitely dropped off, and that's, I think, to do with how much he's taken on uh, offensively the load. But, you know, it's it's tough to play really good defense without being willing to foul. That's the reason why Kyle Lowry had foul trouble in the playoffs all throughout, like, the last playoff run. He was in foul trouble almost all the time, but he was also, like, digging in against bigger players, against faster players, and right. for loose balls. And he was like quarterbacking the defense and you have to be willing to play kind of grimy to play good defense. You can't just be like straight up, never touching guys and meeting them at the rim and only getting your hand on the ball. Like that's just not realistic. And I think Siakam, I'm not so worried about it defensively. I think loose ball fouls and offensive fouls are where he just really has to clean that up. Like defensively, keep playing your principal defense, keep doing your thing. But offensively, be a little bit more cognizant and loose ball fouls like over the back, things like that. Just know it's not worth it, probably. Like you getting an offensive foul with three minutes left in the third quarter is not going to mean that much if it's your fourth foul because it's going gonna, it's gonna to change fundamentally how you defend on the other end. So just him being more cognizant of it is is something. And yeah, I'm not super worried, but it's definitely been a story so far this year. Yeah, it's 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 hard to, you know, to be too critical of that when, you know, the other part of the story is that he's averaging 26 points a game. So, you know, uh, I think that it is a bit worrisome, but at the same time, there's more good than bad for sure. Significantly so. Um, yeah, significantly so. I feel like that's a great way to, to end the podcast, a, a touch of positivity um, yeah. The floor is yours if you want to link the 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 listeners to uh, your hot sauce or hot sauce adjacent things, something <laughs> yeah. they should listen to or read. You go right ahead, man. Uh, sure. Well, um, uh, if you live in Toronto, uh, definitely check out my show Rap Battles. Uh, that's uh, at Rap Battles, R-A-P-P-B-A-T-T-L-E-Z. Um, and, and definitely listen to my podcast. We, uh, we try to record record every monday or tuesday it's called uh, confederacy of dunks basketball podcast uh, our website is uh, dunks podcast and uh, we you know we we have a kind of a mix of, uh, of comedians and, and hardcore fans and uh, analysts such as uh, samson uh, which uh, is the only podcast we've ever recorded <laughs> improperly <laughs> so we're, we're gonna make sure to have samson back and make everything right um, but yeah, I'm, I'm at Freddie Rivas on, uh, on Twitter and, uh, at Freddie Noel Rivas on, uh, Instagram, uh, check me out, follow me. I'm usually being silly and, and doing shows and making jokes. So, uh, yeah, right on. Yeah. So listener, if, uh, if you would heed his advice, go ahead and check him out on everything. Also, Freddie, remember when I was on your podcast and I was asking you guys where that music came from that. Dun, dun, bah, dun, dun. Yes. Ah. I know okay, where that it's was, from. Well, where is it from? Because as soon as that podcast was over, I was like, Matt, the way he asked, where is that music from? There was a knowing. Like, he knows, or I feel like, because I asked Matt, I'm like, did we steal that music? What's going on? And he's like, no, I think it's okay. But okay, now I'm about to learn the truth. Matt, well, Matt said it was just like free usage music, which it definitely could be. But somebody else... And considering how long you've had the podcast, somebody else bit your style. And you'll be surprised at who this somebody is. Oh, wow. 
Conan O'Brien uses it for the intro music for his segment, Clueless Gamer, believe it or not. <laughs> what? Wait, so I, th- I so thought you were about to be like, I use that, man. What's wrong with you guys? <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. So wait, it, 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 he used it after we did? Or... Well, like, I don't know like, when you guys started existed. using that music, but I think Confederacy of Dunks has existed for longer than Coolest Gamer. Yeah, I, we, we, you know, like Matt's been a part of it for probably about four and a half years or so. So that's probably when that that sound that that sting came in. This is this is amazing. Matt's gonna love this. I well maybe even be like, hey Matt, you uh do you like the Coolest Gamer? Uh, concept that little segment on Conan. If he's like, "Oh yeah, I love that," start snapping your fingers. Be like, "We got you, we got you." <laughs> yeah, this is good. This is good. I'm gonna definitely. Matt's in Vegas right now, so when he comes back, I'm gonna be at his doorstep, and I'm just I'm gonna grill him. It's gonna be good. Yeah, exactly. Well, there was when I was like maybe like 20 or 21, I went on like this binge of. Conan YouTube videos. You know how the YouTube algorithm will get you sometimes? And I saw a bunch of the coolest gamers, like Camille Nagiani. Like, he has a bunch of comedians on there to play with him. It's genuinely pretty funny stuff, is like as far as like how late night television shows can be kind of boring or a little bit, you know, bad, but it's actually quite good. And so, as soon as that music played, my brain started like going a million miles a minute. (laughs) And I started like, having a seizure to some point. I was like, where is this from? Where is this from? Where is this from? And I, I was very happy to figure it out. So I'm glad we closed the chapter on that one. Oh, yeah. We closed the chapter, but I'm going to open a whole kind of like trolling chapter on Matt. And and, and you know what? But uh, I'm Freddie, but but the podcast is is me and Matt Duncan. So so make sure you follow Matt on Twitter as well. He's at Crunks Podcast. Or sorry, uh, no, sorry. He's. I said our name of our podcast by accident. He's at Crunks, C R U N K S. <laughs> Perfect. Um, listener, thank you for sticking with us. I know this one was long, but I thought it was enjoyable. Freddie, thank you so much for coming on once again. Oh, Samson, thanks so much. This was uh, this is super fun. Perfect. And uh, for me, you don't have to worry about finding me anywhere if you're listening to the Raptors Republic podcast. You're already doing me a solid, and uh, you probably read my stuff on the site as well. If I'm ever freelancing for The Athletic or something like that, I'll let you guys know. And for Twitter, you don't have to worry about that with me. I'm not such a big fan. And uh, for you, the listener, for Freddie, for everyone who's been involved with this, thank you very much. And uh, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. Everyone needs more vacation, right? The new United Gateway card knows how to take you away with great travel rewards and no annual fee, ever. The wait for vacation is over. Tap now or visit unitedgatewaycard.com to apply. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at myhealthpolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at myhealthpolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for. And done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. 
go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. 